This is Namina's Mental Health Mavens, where each week we bring you guests from the mental health, addictions, and holistic care community to talk about different issues and treatment modalities. Now, guests' opinions are their own, and some content may be triggering. With that, today's guest is Tara Adams from Abridge Consulting, who specializes in workplace mental health and workplace suicide prevention. And she is here to talk to us about creating a suicide-safer work environment. So let's welcome Tara. Well, welcome, Tara. I think this is a very important conversation that we're about to have. I know it's a it can be a difficult conversation. So I'm just going to let you start. Sure, that'd be great. Thanks, Joanne. So I know it sounds very strange, but my favorite thing to talk about is suicide. However, it is also a delicate and difficult topic. So even though it's my favorite, I want to acknowledge that it is difficult and sensitive. So before we have some conversation that I'm really looking forward to, the first thing we always do is acknowledge our lived experience. So between you and I, we have lived experience and you don't have to share it with me. Um, And also your viewers and your listeners have lived experience. So we'll just take a moment and acknowledge that for anybody who's listening, watching, or, you know, even for you and I together today. And then the second thing we'll do is think about the psychological health and safety of folks who are listening or watching this um, topic. And what that means is that I want you to know before we start our conversation that we're not really going to get into the weeds or details. What we're going to talk about today is high level. We're going to talk about the topic or the data or an approach to suicide. So for those listeners right now, I want you to think about opening your mind to learning a little bit, to keeping yourself safe and feeling supported. Um, And if at any point you're not feeling comfortable during the conversation to step away. So that's always important before we start acknowledging lived experience and setting our psychological health and safety about this topic. I know for me, I do a lot of work in the addiction sector and there's such a high level of suicide rates that I am very Very excited to get some ideas from you. So why don't we start with what is a suicide safe environment? Well, it's interesting because um, in certain circles, in the more academic or detailed sort of experts in this area, um, they talk about there's no such thing as a, a suicide safe environment. And that is our goal. Of course, we'd love to to get there. But the idea of suicide safer is really, really important. And whether we're talking about a community, a workplace, a school, a family, all of the systems, the same approach, I think would apply. And what that is, is a layered approach. So there are people that might have very little training or awareness, but at least a little bit And then there is deeper and deeper and deeper levels of understanding and actual training around this topic. So if you were to think about sort of this idea of layers, so our suicide safer environment has folks that are, you know, a little bit, a little more, a little more, a little more, a lot. So that's what I would call a suicide safer environment. Okay. So for example, if, in my workplace, I could go out and do some training uh, so that mm-hmm. I can create a suicide safer environment. But as yep. an individual, I'm going to learn a lot today that I can take out and apply in my own community, in my own yeah. network. 
Well, my specialty is the workplace environment. Uh, but what's interesting about that, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about some data and some demographics, is that almost all of the high risk age groups are folks who are of working age. Not to say folks that aren't working aren't a demographic that is so important, but just this idea that there's lots of different um, audiences and pockets of where we'd like to advance our suicide prevention, but the workplace is really one of the key places because the folks at work represent our highest risk groups. Also, on top of that, uh, take me, for example, I'm a parent. So if I was to receive some suicide prevention or awareness training in my workplace, I come home and that impacts my system my community, my family. So if we can get folks in the workplace some awareness or some training, it trickles down to their church, their community, their family, etc. So I'm not saying the workplace is the be all and end all solution. It is my focus and it is why I get so excited. Well, there has been a lot of movement in that area in workplace mental health. And I think a lot of employers are starting to get it. There's a lot of great work going on. And I could certainly speak to lots of clients that are doing such great, great work. So in a nutshell, you can learn, start to learn to understand some of the risk factors for developing mental illness or a mental health injury. And the quickest way I could explain this is what we want is for a workplace to be a protective factor for your mental health and not a risk factor for your mental health. So that's a wide spectrum, right? So you could sort of have a neutral workplace um, that doesn't really impact your mental health, or you could have a place that nurtures and supports you. You feel safe. You feel like your true self. You feel valued. You feel purpose, all of those things and more. Um, and then you can have a place that would really exacerbate or, or create risk factors for developing a mental illness or a mental health injury. And that is what we're really trying to get away from. And what are some, some steps that we can take? Because I imagine a lot of viewers or listeners are thinking, yeah, I need to take this to my employer or I need to take this yeah. into my family. Or So what are some tangible things we can do? Well, if we go back to more the topic for today, which is our workplace suicide prevention or building a safer environment, um, <clears throat> I think you start at the top and you have something that is really for a broad audience. I don't I don't recommend mandating suicide prevention training because it can make folks even more uncomfortable around this topic. So inviting people to learn more about the topic at an introductory level in a way that is very safe. So there's just an open learning um, step that I would start with. And I wouldn't call that training right off the bat. I would call it awareness, uh, conversation, and then I would gauge the feedback. So if you, Joanne, had a company and we did some introductory awareness workshop, um, webinar type of idea, you know, did folks engage? Did they register? Did they show up? Were they active in the chat, in the questions? If you did a survey, did, did it land? Because I wouldn't dive in too fast with this topic. I would set the stage slowly. Uh, and then after that, there's, you know, all of those layers, all of those layers. So if folks are interested and maybe because my math isn't fantastic, if we created some layers based on, let's say, a thousand folks in a company, and I know that may seem really big or really small, depending on where you work, but let's say a thousand folks, I would invite all 1000 to an introductory conversation 
it's optional. Come, learn, talk about it, reduce some stigma, have a little bit of data, things like that. And then the next level, maybe it's 250 people out of that 1,000. And there's different levels of training. And then the next level, maybe there's 50 people within your organization. And then that final level, maybe there's five. And then there are some clinical mental health professionals that companies can have access through their employee assistance program, through their medical benefits. Um, there's other innovative way that sometimes clients um, have access to a psychologist, psychiatrist, that kind of thing. Then there's the clinical level. So there's lots of levels. And I know I sort of just rhyme them off the top of my head because I think about it and talk about it all the time. But basically starting slow and then deepening the knowledge or the training as the appetite is there, as the need is there. So we're going to talk about some of the resources because I always like to leave viewers and listeners with resources, but I want to talk first about the benefits. Well, I am biased. Let's just, let's just put that out there because, you know, my mission is to have as many people as possible feel a little bit more comfortable talking about uh, suicide um, because of the data. And we let's talk about that maybe just, just right after. Um, so the benefits are really the workplace mental health of the employee. So let's, and we're talking about the suicide safer environment, but let's use the workplace as the example. So the employer's obligation is to promote well-being and protect, um, prevent harm to their employees. So how would I tie the idea of suicide into that the idea of protecting my employees' workplace mental health? Well, we will talk about how common it would it is for your employees to experience thoughts of suicide and how it is uncommon to experience a loss to suicide. However, it's a huge, huge, huge impact and how common it is for us all to have lived experience. So when your employees have a little bit less stress and more confidence to talk about, handle a situation that includes suicide, it helps them feel safe, confident, and less stressed while they're at work. So the focus is in fact, the person who's receiving the training. It's not with an eye to them running around and helping everybody they run into. That's the bonus. So if your employees are feeling more confident and a little bit less stress, then they in turn can start to provide better support to a coworker, friends, family, and clients, to be honest, in an appropriate way. Not to say that employers are responsible for all of that or employees, they just inherently have less stigma, perhaps a little more language, perhaps a few resources, and we will definitely touch on that. And this helps them feel more prepared, more in control. So the focus of why I would suggest workplace suicide prevention is to invest in the employees themselves. And then the bonus is how that ripples out to all the people in their lives, including your, their fellow coworkers. So it is the right thing to do. Of course, you, you could, you probably would end up saving the life. So if that's not enough motivation for folks, uh, it is investing in the workplace mental health of their employees. And I think that builds more loyalty in your employees. Cause I know with my Absolutely. at Nomina, sometimes when I get a, a call late at night, it's okay. I am happy to take the call because yeah. I feel supported and I feel yes. valued. And, and I know yeah. that I can push back at any point in time and say, you know what, I'm feeling really stressed or off or, and, and I'm supported. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, the idea of healthy boundaries and self-care is something that is so critical around this topic. So if a person is going to have more than an introductory conversation, um, even at the very beginning step of training, is to understand setting the boundaries of what your role is based on your training or lack of training, either way is, is really, really important. And then another thing I always stress is the idea of self-care. If you're in any conversation, including the word suicide or the thoughts of suicide, then both people in that conversation need some support. Both people, the, per the person who might be receiving that news and the person who may be experiencing thoughts of suicide. So the practice of self-care is something that I build into my training um, in the workplace uh, so that really you're always thinking about the dynamic of both people involved in the conversation not just the person who may have thoughts of suicide and what about some of the risks well it's interesting because i think that <clears throat> occasionally employers might say oh well, there'd be a huge risk to uh, opening this can of worms type of idea so first of all we do have to go back to the idea of the data so thoughts of suicide are far 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 more common than most people think and so you do have employees having thoughts of suicide that's that is happening so uh, you as an employer or as a person, as a coworker, as a parent, as a friend, you cannot introduce the idea to someone. You're not, it's not contagious. You're not going to give someone the idea and they go, oh, I had never thought about it. What a great idea. I'm so glad you told me. That is not how it works. And through a training, you would learn more about that. But from an employer's point of view, it would be to recognize there are people that work in my organization having thoughts of suicide, those people. So we can help them. Also, there are people who work in my organization who have a loved one who's having thoughts of suicide. And so now they are coming to work and are distracted, unproductive, obviously experiencing you know, what that situation does to them, how it impacts them. So statistically, there isn't a risk but there's still a lot of fear and there's still a lot of um, stigma. I know I'm working with a client right now who has a really good deep understanding and we're working together and then went to their internal communications department and said, please broadcast that we have this suicide prevention training. And they said, no, we can't, you can't send a communication out about suicide training. We can't do that. So it's working with the communication folks to say, but that's why we're doing it so that we can reduce the stigma and give people the tools. And there are some ways to sort of be gentle with the language and careful. And I'm a huge fan of words matter. I, I can help folks with that, but avoiding the word suicide is part of the problem. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Yeah, you can't you can't never say the word suicide when you're doing suicide training. You can't. Yeah. Uh, we can introduce it in a in a slow and gentle way, and that's important too. But it's interesting if if you do some training around this topic is that you know if I let's just say if I was having thoughts of suicide and Joanne is trying to support me and talk to me, there is this idea that if Joanne can say the word suicide. It makes me trust you like you're not scared to say it maybe i won't be scared to say it so there is a piece around can we start to normalize speaking to a person having thoughts of suicide 
because the statistics are telling us it's very, very common. So if we just keep avoiding the word, is that in fact supporting the folks and helping them feel comfortable to come and talk to me? No. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And by the way, we're going to list all of your information on the description on YouTube and the show notes in the podcast so that if anyone wants to get a hold of you and do any any training that uh, we'll put them right in touch with you. And talk about my favorite subject. Good. Yes. Good. How about we geek out for a second and talk about the data and talk about the reason? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, let's do a little bit about the data first. Now, I know that I know your broadcast uh, could reach anyone anywhere. Uh, well, I will say I got a little lost in some data yesterday uh, to the point where I missed a meeting and I had a very gracious person um, give me a rain check. So what I was doing in preparing to talk to you is just trying to find out if some new data had been published because the topic of suicide, it's tricky. It's very much what's called a lagging indicator. And you'll find, even if you do your own Google searches, et cetera, that you won't find any 2022 data. <clears throat> I found a tiny bit of 2021 and I found some 2020, which is fresh. So, so bear with me a little bit. Um, before the pandemic, um, I'm based in Canada, so I'll give you some Canadian data, but I looked at the metadata from around the world. So it holds true is that uh, approximately one in 20 Canadians had had thoughts of suicide. So that's interesting. It's very, very high, right? It's, it's more common than we thought. So since the beginning of the pandemic, if you were to guess if thoughts of suicide has gone up or down, what would you guess? I would guess that it had gone up. Yeah, and you'd be right. So it looks like the thoughts of suicide has gone up and there is some survey data and some Canadian data and some metadata, meaning data collected from around the world and summarized that says, yes, that is true. So the frequency of thoughts of suicide has gone up since the beginning of the pandemic. Here's what's interesting though. It appears um, as of December, 2022, which is when I looked into as many sources as I could find, that yes, the thoughts of suicide has gone up, but death by suicide has gone down. It's interesting. And, you know, could I explain why? It would be difficult, um, but it is what's no, considered a lagging indicator. So this trend may change 2023, 24, 25. Uh, let's hope we can just get more and more resources and support to folks. And let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, right now, I would say thoughts has gone up, uh, death by suicide has gone down, but there's a big asterisk beside that to say, let's keep a careful, careful, careful eye on uh, how the data starts to change. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if that has anything to do with how we're really talking about mental health now since COVID. I hope so. I mean, there's lots of ways to interpret that, right? As there is with all data, there's lots of ways to interpret that. So uh, are, are these things being reported? How is the data being collected? Have we created less stigma, more awareness? So folks are getting more comfortable talking. There's lots of different variables and it's always complicated to unpack that data, but um, we haven't had something published to say, this is exactly what's happening in this moment. And I think on this important topic, the folks who own the data, publish the data are even more careful. So it's not just like, well, as of yesterday, here's what's happening, you know? Yeah. But there's lots of great places to look for the data if, if someone, uh, viewer, listener is interested. 
So I was looking through Statistics Canada, I was looking at Living Works, I was looking at the Center for Suicide Prevention, uh, Mental Health Research Canada, and many other places just to see, you know, have we had something new published? And it doesn't look like we're ready to say exactly what's going on now, other than the trend that thoughts have gone up and death by suicide has gone down with a big asterisk of let's be very careful to pay attention to that. Well, then resources. You mentioned one of my favorites, and that's the Suicide Prevention Center. I know they have their Buddy Up program. They have some great- Yes, they are fantastic. They are absolutely fantastic. So um, even though this is absolutely not a training, I would be remiss to not leverage this opportunity. So my favorite thing to do in any training that I'm in is to tell people to pick up their phone and pick up their phone and put a phone number in their phone right now, no matter what class I'm doing. Sometimes it's um, only close to the topic of suicide, but I sneak this one in because it's so powerful. So um, I have some info for folks in Canada and I have some folks uh, info for folks who may be in the US and if you're coming in uh, from a different country, I'll just encourage you to figure out the same info in where you live, because it's really important. So in Canada, we have a phone number called Talk Suicide Canada. And the number is 1-833-456-4566. And so when I'm working with folks in Canada, I make them put that number in their phone. And I acknowledge the typing the word suicide into your phone contacts is uncomfortable. It is for sure. So you need to acknowledge that. And is that going to make you feel anxious having that phone number in your phone? And then what I usually say to people is, I hope you never, ever need that phone number. But I know that if you do, you'll be very grateful it's already in your phone. Because that idea of scrambling around and looking for it is, is tricky. So whether it is you who has thoughts of suicide or someone in your family or a coworker, being able to say i could call someone that has more training that has some answers is really really important and so this is coming from a place of assuming your viewers and listeners do not have any training yet <laughs> you know we want to have a couple things at your fingertips should you end up in this conversation i don't want you to be alone in the conversation i want you to be able to call somebody who has a little more info in this case a lot more uh, the Talk Suicide Canada number. If you are coming uh, from the US, congratulations, you won, you beat us. You have a new phone number called 988, <clears throat> which is a mental health uh, dedicated number, including um, suicide prevention and supporting folks with thoughts of suicide. So congratulations, November 2022, the U.S. launched their 988 number, and November 2023, from everything I've read, Canada will be catching up with you a year later. Oh, that's fantastic. I know. I'm very, very excited. Um, but just to sort of round that out, in the meantime, I would like the folks in Canada to leverage the Talk Suicide Canada number. It's 24 hours, and I'd like it to be in your phone. But also remind folks that uh, you always have 911. Always, and these are very highly trained, empathetic folks who have more training than you and really get that into your mind. So if you don't feel safe or if someone else is not safe, there's often a hesitancy to call 911, but safety trumps everything else. And if you're just really overwhelmed in a situation and that can happen, don't forget that you have 911. 
In Canada, we also have 811, which are amazing nurses with lots of training as well. So that's a good idea. And we also have 211, which are the experts on local resources. So for an example, if you don't live in a major city in Canada, if you live in a smaller town, <clears throat> then I also encourage you to think about calling 211 to chat about what are my local resources around mental health or suicide? Like, what would I do if I was trying to support a loved one, a coworker? Where would I go? Is there a walk-in clinic? Is there a 24-hour clinic? Things like that. So there's a few things we can do in advance without training per se, and that's to have a couple phone numbers in our phones and really think about, hmm, if I was in this situation, what is available to me where I live? Virtually, by phone, physically, you know, where would I go? What would I do? How's that? Is that enough resources to kick things off? That is that that very that very much is. I I know that I I worked for a seniors organization years ago, and I had to go through training on learning to recognize the signs and symptoms of a senior in distress. And yes. So now I know the signs and symptoms, but they never really there wasn't any resources for what where could I go what yeah. could I do. Whereas if I notice someone I'm I'm a little worried I've got all of these resources that I can call. Yeah. Like, what do I do? How do I help? How do I interview? What? Yeah. And let me add one more that is more workplace specific. So both Canada and the U.S. have often an employer with let's say more than four or 500 employees. And that's not a hard rule. I'm just saying as an example, because if you do work for a smaller company, let's touch on that. But if you're working at a, a company of let's say more than four or 500 folks, you likely have what's called an employee assistance program, EAP. No one needs more acronyms, I get it. Sometimes it's called EFAP as well, employee family assistance program. So I want you to have that phone number in your phone. Every single class group, of folks that I have, if they have an EAP, they put two phone numbers in their phone, their EAP and the Talk Suicide Canada or a, a, a number relevant outside of their workplace where they live. Everybody has two phone numbers in their phone, everyone, every time, every class, every time I get to talk to people. So if you do not have an EAP, that is totally fine, of course. And let me just say that, you know, the smaller businesses out there, not all of our workplace mental health solutions fit and that's a problem so happy to chat about that another time but but just this idea of having basically if i'm in the situation if i'm talking to a person who has thoughts of suicide and i do not have a lot of training then i need to get to a person with more training than me how am i going to do that it could be 911 it could be 811 211 if you had time in advance. It could be Talk Suicide Canada. It could be the 988 in the US. Later, we'll have that in Canada. And it could be your EAP, which is a fantastic resource that if it's available to you, most folks are not using it enough. Most, most, yeah. If you have it, please use it. Was there anything else before we wrap up? Well, I always like to leave with a couple of thoughts around this is that I appreciate any opportunity to talk about this. So thank you so much, Joanne, and thank you to any of your viewers and listeners, because talking about suicide, learning about it can come at a price, right? There is a bit of emotional labor, or in my case, a lot of emotional labor 
but it's worth it. So thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you to anyone who took the time to listen or watch because it's not easy, but it is important and it is good work. So um, the most important thing I want to leave you with is even if today you feel like you learned a little bit about suicide or if in your future you might do a little bit of training, the most important thing is that you do not apply what you learn learning backwards, going backwards. So doing a quick Rolodex of your life and going, oh, wait a minute. You know what? There was a time when I should have, could have, would have, if I'd only known that is really hard on you and your mental health. So whether it's a little conversation or whether you go deeper with your training, always apply what you learn going forward. And I can tell you that I practice this myself. I've lost three people in my life to suicide and I honor those three people by applying what I know now going forward. I can't, I can't go back. It's really hard on me if I start to say, well, if I had the knowledge, the training and the skills I have in 2022 to those situations, but I didn't, I didn't, I do now, I do now. So it's important, heavy work, but it's really, really worth it. So take care of yourselves, all of you, first and foremost, and uh, let's try to reduce the stigma around people having thoughts of suicide and try to be there, have conversations with them. Well, and in keeping with our workplace talk, we're going to, I'm going to link the video is going to come up that we did on finding a meaningful purpose-driven employment, because I know that's part of it as well. That good mental health is having that passion. So that's going to pop up for anyone listening. Uh, just scroll back down through our past episodes. It's in there, but that was a great video we did with Kelly Lydiard. And again, thank you so much, Tara. This has been amazing. It's been my pleasure. Anytime we can start to share the information, the resources, the language is really important. So kudos to you. And I hope we get lots of listeners and viewers. <laughs>